You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Uh, Let me just uh, start by reading a scripture today. We're in a series called uh, Road Trip. We're looking at the journey of the children of Israel after they left Egypt, after the Passover, what happened to them. One of the values of Bayshore is we love the Bible, we teach the Bible, read the Bible, see what it says, and uh, we just kind of dig into what uh, what the scripture says and helps us with our life. So today we're going to be looking at, as we do the continue the road trip uh, series, we're going to be looking at Exodus 17, 8 through 16, a story some of you know, you've heard this story before, Exodus 17, 8 through 16 goes like this. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with a staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war with the Amalekites from this generation to generation. Well, great story. Some of you know this story. It's about a great battle that takes place in the journey that the children of Israel were going through, and it involves this this obscure group called the Amalekites. They were a desert people, uh, and uh, some people believe they were descendants of Esau. Some people, you know, see them as had a different origin. But uh, they were traveling across the desert, and they encounter these Amalekites, and they come in to battle with them. And the Bible says that Moses went on top of the hill and he took the staff, the staff that he used to raise over the Red Sea, to open the Red Sea, the staff that he raised up in front of Pharaoh and the plagues came upon Egypt. And this staff, as he held it up and his arms up, uh, he and the people below had victory in the battle that they were in. So what's interesting about the story, you have Aaron that's supporting him. They set Moses, he gets a little tired and he sits on this rock and Aaron is on one side. Now Aaron is his brother, his older brother. And then you have her on the other side that is probably the husband of Miriam, uh, Moses' sister, his brother-in-law. So uh, Aaron and Hur help Moses, and they're in a battle. And this is the first battle, the very first battle that the Israelites encounter after they've left Egypt. This is the first battle. I think about famous first battles. You think about the battle of Lexington and Concord in uh, April 19, 1774, where the British dispatched 700 soldiers from Boston to go up into Lexington and Concord and to seize the weaponry 
that the patriots had uh, begun to stockpile to stand against the British. And they got to that famous bridge. And somebody fired a shot. We don't know who fired the shot, but it was called later by Ralph Waldo Emerson, the shot heard around the world. And that was the first battle of the American Revolution. 300, 300 British soldiers were killed and 93 patriots were killed. And the first battle in the American Revolution goes to the patriots. So uh, you got that going on. Then you got the first battle in the Civil War. Civil War, first battle, July 21st, uh, 1861. And it was the Battle of Bull Run. What happened was that Lincoln had dispatched McDowell, his general, to go to Richmond and capture Richmond because Richmond was the Confederate capital. And Lincoln wanted to get this war over in less than 90 days. So he sends McDowell and 16,000 soldiers from Washington, D.C., 35 miles to Manassas, Virginia. They get to the creek, the Bull Run Creek, and on the other side of the creek is uh, Confederate soldiers numbering about the same amount, about 16,000 soldiers, and they went at it. And while the, you know, the, uh, the Union kind of fiddled around, another uh, group came from, uh, from uh, Shenandoah Valley led by uh, Thomas Jackson, who became known from that battle as Stonewall Jackson because he didn't move when he was attacked by the Union Army. And the Union Army was not just defeated, but they were sorely defeated, and it was a rout. And people, the soldiers ran back to Washington, D.C. There were people from Washington, D.C. In their, in their carriages out there to watch the battle. They brought picnics, and they wanted to watch the battle. And the first battle was a, a, a terrible defeat for the Union Army. And this is the first battle that the Israelites encounter when they come and begin to get toward Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb where they're going to receive the Ten Commandments. First battle that they, face, that they face. Something for you to remember, something for me to remember is the Christian life is punctuated by battles. Paul said that when he left, uh, last thing Paul wrote, he's in a Roman jail, 2 Timothy chapter 4 as he begins to go toward the executioner, when his life is about over, Paul, the last thing he pens is, I fought the good fight. I finished the race and there's laid up for me a crown and glory. Amen. He said, I fought the good fight. Now I want you to know that our life is punctuated by battles. We have battles that we encounter in our Christian life. Just like the Israelites, what we see in this scenario of the children of Israel going across the desert on the way to the promised land, everything we see in this narrative is telling us what the Christian life is like. And the Christian life is punctuated by battles. We don't just have battles. Thank the Lord for that. Now, I'm not in a battle right now. I've had the most amazing summer. I've got to play lots of tennis. I've uh, caught some fish. I've uh, gone to the beach. Uh, I've had a vacation. I mean, I've had a wonderful summer and everything seems to be going well. How many wish it was always that way? But sometimes you have 
good times, and then other times you come into battles. Battles are, are like red lights. You know you, uh, you know, you don't have red lights all the time, but if you go down 24, I think they put up a new red light every week on 24. <laughs> and you're going along, and you're flying down the road, and you're listening to Spotify, and you're having a good time, and I have the wind down so my hair can blow in the wind. And then you hit a red light. And Christian, the Christian journey is like that. The reason that we have this story is to remind you and to remind me that sometimes we have battles in our life. Now, uh, this was not a battle the children of Israel chose. It wasn't something that they signed up for. The Amalekites were the aggressors. Now, I can tell you, I've never gotten up one morning and asked the Lord, Lord, I'd really like to have a battle today. Lord, could you just bring a crisis in my life now? I would love to have a crisis right now. I would just love to have rough, something really stressful happen today. We don't pray that way. But we encounter battles that aren't on our agenda, and we have battles. You're going to have some battles some of you are in battles right now. You're in a battle right now. Some of you just came out of a battle. And some of you are headed into a battle. That is the story of our Christian journey. And the Amalekites are in this story. And there is this battle to remind you and to remind me that we're going to have some battles. Now, the big thing is, is to understand why you have a battle. You gotta understand why you have a battle. Why are the battles happening? Some of, us, some of us have asked God, why, why? You know, some people say, never ask God why. I don't know that that's biblical. You know, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus said that on the cross. David said that when he was going through a hard time. So important sometimes to say, you know, it's okay to say why. And we got to understand the why of a battle so we can endure the battle. If we don't understand why we go through battles, we're going to have trouble being faithful in the battle. I remember when Karen and I first got married, we had a, a you know, my, her dad uh, was a very uh, particular guy. His yard was always nice and the house was nice. His garage was organized. And most importantly, his vehicles were washed and cleaned and conditioned and always detailed. And his pickup looked brand new, even though it was three years old. Her mother's car was incredibly cleaned out and, and it was waxed. And I come into this family with my, my vehicles and you, you needed a Technic shot to get in my car. It was dirty, it was muddy, it was nasty. And I thought, I'm gonna turn over a new leaf. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a good looking car. And I was impressed with Karen's dad, how he did his life. And I thought, I'm gonna keep my car like that. So I got a fairly new car. I don't think it was brand new, but I decided I'm gonna keep it washed and waxed. And we go over to the house, I wanted to impress her dad. And so one of the things her dad always did is he put mud flaps on all of his vehicles, two mud flaps in the front, two mud flaps in the back to keep the mud from getting thrown up on the vehicle. 
So I thought, man, this new car, I'm getting mud flaps. So I went out and bought mud flaps for my car, two for the front, two for the back, called Karen's dad. I said, would you mind helping me put these mud flaps on, trying to impress him? He said, absolutely, Danny, come on over. He was working at DuPont's at the time. We figured out a time. And so I went over there. We had all, everything laid out on the cement uh, driveway there, had all the tools laid out. He said, first thing we need is we need a board. We need a board. I said, yeah, we need a board. I don't know why we need a board, but we need a board. And so we're looking for a board. And it's got to be about, you know, a foot wide and two foot long. And we're rifling through all of his stuff in his garage and behind his garage where all his wood was looking. 30, 40 minutes looking for a piece of wood. And I had no idea why we're looking for a piece of wood. So finally, he found what he considered to be the perfect piece of wood. He, he says, okay, we walked over that piece of wood. I'm thinking, what are we going to do with this piece of wood? Are we going to nail it to the bottom of the car? What, what is this piece of wood for? And he laid it on the cement driveway, and he put the tire jack on top of the wood. And he said, Danny, we need to put the wood under the tire jack so the weight of the car will not crack the cement. I said, I knew that. I knew that all along. And you know what? The problem was, is I did not know why we were doing what we were doing. And if you don't know why you're in a battle, it's going to be awful hard to hang in the battle. God has a reason and a purpose for every battle that you go through and every battle that I go through. And here's the purpose. I'll read you a verse that will help us today to understand why we have battles. Because the why of the battle will help us to get through the battle. Psalm 1834. Psalm 1834 says, He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. He trains my, arm, my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. The reason God lets us go through battles is to make us strong. Amen. Is to make us strong. When we go through a battle, it puts us in a position where we've got to look to the rod that Moses is hanging, holding up in the hill. We've got to look up and we've got to trust the Lord because battles make us strong spiritually. You've got to be in a battle to develop spiritual muscles. You know, people say, well, sometimes people say, I'm just praying for great faith. I'm praying that God will give me great faith. That is a foolish prayer. That's not how it works. Sometimes people come up to me and say, Pastor Danny, would you just pray that I'll have great faith? Well, that's, you know, when I pray that, I know what's coming. Because it's battles that make us strong. It's battles that develop us spiritually. It will never become strong. We'll never become men and women of God just by everything being calm. John Maxwell says a calm sea never produces a skillful sailor. And it's the battles that develop us spiritually. I remember a couple of weeks ago, I think it was like two weeks ago, Karen and I were going out for lunch on Friday on our little date day, and 
you know, we're going to pick out, we go to a different place a lot of times on, on Friday, sometimes the same place. And, you know, and uh, every once in a while I'll say, hey, let's eat over here. And she said, no, we're not going to eat there. We're going to eat over here. And uh, so the other, other day I said, let's eat at Capriati's. I saw that in Long Neck there's a new Capriati's. They moved out of, uh, I guess, uh, Arena used to be there, and Arena left, and Capriati's moved in, and, and I had never been to Capriati's. I didn't know what it was. There's one in Bethany, I think, or in Millville on the way to, uh, on the way to Bethany on Route 26. And I said, hey, let's try Capriati's. It sounds Italian, and I like pasta. So we go into Capriati's, and it's a sandwich shop. And I'm telling you, we ordered a, a, a cheesesteak sub and fries, and it was amazing. It was incredible. This sermon is brought to you today by Capriotis. I want you to know that. <laughs> if you haven't been to Capriotis, you need to go to Capriotis. But while, there's, while we're standing there getting ready to order and make our order, there's a guy that comes in. Uh, that's working for Cisco and he has a cutoff t-shirt and he has uh, his tattoos all over his arms and he's got his dolly and he's got boxes stacked up and he goes by us and this guy was ripped his muscles were sculptured I mean to tell you I mean it was a double take good night that guy's got some muscles I said to Karen, that guy's built just like me. And uh, <laughs> she rolled her eyes and I sucked my stomach in. And he came by another time and it was amazing. I mean, he was, I'm, I'm telling you, I've seen a lot of people in shape, but that guy like, wow, this is just, he just doing Cisco on the side. That's just his side thing. <laughs> and you know how he got that way? He got that way by resistance training. Resistance training. Resistance training is when you lift up weights over your head and your muscles have to push against the weight and gravity pushing down those weights upon you and you have resistance and it's the resistance that develops the muscles. You can do resistance training through uh, weight machines Free weights are probably better if you're going to look like that guy from Cisco's. But we get developed by resistance. It's resistance that develops us. And one of the things we're discovering in this series is the goal of the Christian life is not to get to heaven. That's a bonus. The goal is transformation, to look like Jesus. So battle is what develops us spiritually. Some of you are in a battle right now. It's hard. It's uncertain. It's painful. It's scary. You're in a place of resistance where things are working against you. And I want you to know there's a reason for every battle you go through. And the reason is God is making you strong. I've been in this church 42, 43 years, whatever. And if I knew everything I was going to encounter in ministry, you know, 40 years ago, I don't know. I'd probably be selling real estate, you know. 
But I tell you what, as I look back on what I've been through and I look back on the stuff that I've walked through and Karen's walked through, it's the, it's the resistance, it's the battles that develop me spiritually, it's the battles that make me love Jesus, it's the battles that give me faith, it's the battles that help me reach out and hang on to an eternal God that's going to get me through any battle I'm in. It's the battles that have developed my faith. Battles have a reason. There's a why for the battle, and if you understand the why for the battle, it helps you to get through the battle. If you don't understand the why of the battle, the why of the battle is a mystery to you, then you can't get through the battle. But if you know that God is using these battles in your life to develop your muscles spiritually, then you can get through the battle. You can get through the battle because you know there's a reason for the battle. God is making you into a woman of God. God is making you into a man of God. God is making you into a powerful person. God wants people in his kingdom that are full of power, that are full of faith, that are full of grace, that trust in the Lord with all their heart. And they are leaning in to the grace of God. And they're powerful men and women of God. The church has gone through seasons. We went through the seeker-sensitive season where we just gather people, and that's certainly worthwhile. We've all gone through that, and I've gone through, and this church has been a seeker-sensitive church in the early days and all that, but there is a new season emerging. And the new season is God developing people, God making men and women that are outstanding, made in the image of God, standing and looking like Jesus. There's coming a time four or five years from now when your neighbors and your friends and your family and even your spouse are going to look at you and you're going to look like Jesus. You're going to have so much transformation in your life that you're going to, the glory of the Lord is going to flow through you to impact other people. The battle is designed by God the battle is designed by God to make you strong. God is coming for a bride one day that's, that's powerful, not weak, but strong. Some of you heard me tell the story about the, uh, about the little boy that saw the monarch butterfly that was struggling to get out of the cocoon. And this poor butterfly is trying to get out of the cocoon and it's struggling and the little boy sees that that cocoon hanging on the tree limb and in mercy and grace he goes out and he gets a, some scissors from the kitchen and he snips the bottom of the cocoon and the monarch butterfly easily slides out of the cocoon and lands on the ground but the beating sun and the heat upon that butterfly, the butterfly dies laying on the ground and never flies. Because God through nature has designed that the butterfly must struggle out of the cocoon to get the chemicals in its wings so it can be beautiful, so it can fly, so it can become what it was designed to become. It's the struggle, it's the battle 
that makes us what we're supposed to be. I want you to know that God is with you. He's helping you. He's sustaining you. He's strengthening you. He's with you. And he's going to take care of you. And there's something in his divine plan that's happening. You say, this doesn't make any sense. It makes perfect sense. The battle has been sent to you for you to look to the Lord who's above you, the Lord who's stronger than you. And as Moses held up that rod, they weren't looking at Moses and they weren't looking at him. They were looking at that rod and it was that rod that opened the Red Sea. It was God's power. It was that rod that caused all the 10 plagues to come upon Egypt. It was that rod that had recently hit the rock and fed and, and watered thousands of people. God's power is incredibly strong. Another thing about the Malachites is the Malachites are a recurring, a recurring enemy. We see this battle, we see the snapshot of the battle, Israelites win this battle. But here's what you need to know. The Israelites battle the Amalekites nine more times. They don't go away. You beat them and they come back. You beat them and they come back. You beat them and they come back. These Amalekites are resilient and there's nine more battles with the Amalekites and three other battles, which would make 12 battles that the Amalekites are probably involved with the other Canaanites. So these Amalekites are a recurring problem. And every one of us have an Amalekite. We have something that keeps showing up, something that keeps bothering us, some struggle, maybe our anger, maybe our self-control, it may be our pity, our self-pity, it may be our lust, it may be that when we're under stress, we eat too much. It may be when we're under stress, we drink too much. We always got some Amalekite that keeps coming back. Some weakness in our life, some struggle in our life. When I was, uh, the first church I preached at on a regular basis was called St. Andrews by the Sea down in Perdido Bay, Alabama, a little tiny church um, next to the Gulf of Mexico in Perdido Bay, Alabama, and a little tiny church, a little A-frame church, a little wooden pews and wooden floor, and it didn't have uh, stained glass windows on the side, it had these, these clear windows. And I tried, I learned how to preach. I was trying to learn how to preach in that church and, and serve the people. And I led worship and did some preaching and on a regular basis. I'm there one Sunday and I'm up there preaching on Jacob and Esau, trying to wax eloquent on J Jacob and Esau. Esau's hairy, Jacob's smooth. I'm trying to figure out what the world that means. And I'm like talking about it and trying to teach and all that. And while I'm teaching, there's a red cardinal that sees his reflection in the window right next to the pulpit on the, by, the, by the first pew. And that red bird keeps flying into the window. Bam! Go back again. Bam! Flying in the window. And there's probably 20 people there. That was Easter Sunday probably. 20 people there. <laughs> and all the people are looking at that red bird. I can see their sides of their heads, and I'm trying to preach on Jacob and Esau, and I don't even know what I'm talking about. I'm trying my best. And that bird kept flying into that window over and over again, the whole sermon. It was terrible. And the Amalekites are like that red bird. 
They keep coming back. They keep coming back. They keep coming back. The thing you struggle with, you got victory over here, you got victory over here, you got victory over here, and then there's that Amalekite. You got that one thing you struggle with. Everybody's got an Amalekite. Some people, it's, it's self-pity. You know, things go wrong, you start feeling sorry for yourself, you get into a big depression, and it happens, a cycle. It happens over and over again. Some of you, it's stress when you're under stress, and you go to your, your coping mechanism. It may be too much wine, too much drink, too much food. You may look at images you shouldn't look at. But your Amalekite keeps coming back and back and back again. Everybody's got one. The Amalekites, they left that battlefield, but that wasn't the end of it. You know what it says about Jesus in Luke 4, 13? It says that after he was tempted by the devil, the devil left him for an opportune time. In other words, the devil was going to come back. And I want you to know that those Amalekites we struggle with are in our life to keep us trusting in God's grace. To keep us reaching up our arms to the Heavenly Father that loves us. I was raised in a, in a, a religious environment that said, you better live it all the time. You better live it. You better live it on Monday and Tuesday. And you better not mess up. And I felt like I was walking a tightrope. It was an environment of perfectionism. And I'm telling you what, you know what perfectionism? It's the highest form of self-abuse. I want you to tell you, I want to tell you something this morning, and I want you to hear this. There's nobody in this room that's perfect. Nobody's perfect. We all need the grace of God. Can you say a big amen? Amen. That was a good place to clap. Why don't we clap on that? That was good. And I, as I have walked my Christian life, dealing with my Amalekite, it's made me love the cross. If I didn't have an Amalekite, I'd be proud, I'd be arrogant. I'd be like, what's wrong with you? Why don't you live better? But because I've got an Amalekite, it makes me love the cross. It makes me love Jesus, and it makes me, when I struggle with my Amalekite, it makes me reach out to the strength of God and the power of God to help me overcome that Amalekite because I know I can't overcome that Amalekite on my own. It's not self-effort. It's not my, you know, kind of gritting my teeth and trying harder. It's me resting on the Lord Amen. and depending on the Lord. The Bible says, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to take your stand in the evil day, in the evil day, when the evil day comes, when the moment comes when you are tried and you are tested, put on the full, full armor of God so when that day comes, you will be ready. You depend on the mighty power of the Lord to help you, the strength of the Lord. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, I got this thorn, and we don't know what the thorn is. We don't know if he 
Some people believe it was the Judaizers that followed him. Every time he planted a church, the Judaizers, Judaizers became him, behind him and, and caused trouble, and he had to write all those letters. Some people believe he had an eye disorder. He had something physically wrong with him that made him struggle. Some people believe that he, you know, had this or that, and nobody really knows what the thorn is, but it was an area of vulnerability. It was an Amalekite. And he said, Lord, take it away. Take it away. And what did the Lord say? My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Paul, my grace covers that. And Paul, my grace will help you deal with that thorn. And if you read in the text here, the text we've read today, one day, the last part of the story is the Lord declares to Moses, the Amalekites will be completely eradicated. And what you struggle with here on earth, as you struggle and struggle, as you grow in your faith, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2 that when he appears, we will see him as he is and we will be like him. So we develop in our faith, we grow in our faith, and we still have Amalekites we struggle with. And that day when he appears and he comes, we will see him as he is and then we will be like him completely. Hallelujah. In each of these uh, messages, I've tried to tie this in with the Lord's Prayer. And each one of these stories, I think, has a connection with the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Listen to this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us not from temptation, or deliver us from temptation. Lead us not into temptation. That prayer is the prayer where you're praying, Lord, I've got this area. I've got this Amalekite. I've got this situation. Maybe it's worry, anxiety, worry and worry, worry. You're in misery, worrying about your kids and your grandkids. You're worried all the time. It plagues you. But the area that you're weak, you say, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Help me not to be defeated by my Amalekite today. One of my favorite movies, and I'm a little bit over, so I'll close with this. One of my favorite movies is a, is a movie that Clint Eastwood starred in it called uh, Trouble with a Curve. And it, Amy Adams stars in it, and uh, Justin Timberlake's in the movie. And it's about this, um, this baseball scout uh, that Clint Eastwood plays. It's an older baseball scout. His name is Gus in the movie, and he's losing his eyesight, and he's kind of like not up to the modern way of analyzing, you know, players and all that. And he's a scout for the Atlanta Braves. And so uh, he's sent to go down to North Carolina to scout out this kid named Bo Gentry that's this great superstar. And he goes down there, and he can't see really well. And his daughter, who uh, is Amy Adams, plays Mickey in the movie, comes to uh, help him out and when he can't see she can go help him see what's going on and the end of the day you know uh, the Braves want to draft this guy and uh, and 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 here's what Clint Eastwood played his Gus in the movie he said he's got drifting hands his hands drift and he can't hit a curveball and nobody sees it 
So the Braves override Gus and they, they, they uh, draft him anyhow as the first pick. And, but as they're leaving the hotel, they discover this, this kid, this kid that actually sold peanuts in the high school stand that practices pitching every night behind the, behind the motel where they're staying. And Amy Adams hears how just by the sound of the baseball hitting the mitt, that this kid has great talent and she goes back there and she discovers that he's a great pitcher. And so she brings him to Atlanta for a walk-in and they put Bo Gentry at the plate. He's been hitting home runs and batting practice and everybody's oohing and on. And, and they put this peanut salesman kid on the mound, Roberto Sanchez. And he winds up and he throws three fastballs that Bo Gentry can't even touch. And then Amy Adams says, that's not even his best pitch. That's not even his best pitch. Show him the curve. And he starts throwing these curveballs. And Bo Gentry, this arrogant little guy that thinks he's the God's savior to baseball, he can't hit any of the curveballs. And the manager says, he can't even hit it when he knows it's coming. Trouble with the curve. Trouble with the curve. We all have a curveball that we can't hit. We all have an area that we struggle in. We all have an area of weakness that we don't want anybody to know that we struggle and we are so weak there. But the Lord said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you, not only to forgive you of your weakness, not only to take care of you have no guilt, but my grace is sufficient to help you every time you face your Amalekite. You look to Moses on the hill holding up that rod. And the children of Israel said, the Lord is my banner. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner. It's not the, that's a bad translation. The Hebrew word is the Lord is my rod. That's what it means. The Lord that used that rod. I look to the Lord to help me. And I want you to know as you start this week, his grace is sufficient for you. Would you say it with me? My grace is sufficient for you. Would you say it one more time? Close your eyes. You got your Amalekite. I want you to say my grace is sufficient for you. Father God, right now in the name of Jesus, we pray over this wonderful group of people. Holy Spirit has been moving today in worship. It's moving now. The battles are making us like Jesus. We're being transformed. There's a mighty, mighty army of God's people being raised up in Sussex County on the Eastern Shore. People that look like Jesus where they work. People that look like Jesus in their neighborhoods. People that look like Jesus wherever they go. Thank you for the battles, Lord. They've been painful. They've been scary. They've been intimidating. But we thank you that you're making us into the image of your son. In Jesus' name.
And everybody said amen and amen. 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 Say this with me. The Lord is with me. And he's going to help me move forward. Thank you so much for coming today. Let's praise the Lord. Love you guys. Have a great week. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.